Merry Christmas. Let's try that again. Merry Christmas. So good to have you all here with us this evening, and we're excited to be moving towards the sermon time where I'm going to be talking for about 20 minutes about the birth of Jesus and why he came into this world. Now, in line with that, though, for the past four Sundays in a row, we have been preparing for Christmas. We've been moving through the Advent calendar, and each Sunday, we have been focusing on a topic that is exemplified by a candle. The first one is the prophecy candle, which brings hope. The next one is the Bethlehem candle, and that brings love. The next candle is the pink one, and that comes from the shepherds, and we're going to talk a little bit about that this evening, and that's where joy comes. And then the last of the three purple candles is peace, and that's the angelic candle. The center candle, the white one, I will be lighting that at the end of the sermon. The focus of that candle is the purity and the holiness that Jesus affords us. That's known as the Christ candle. So four weeks we've been preparing for this service, preparing for the incarnation where God takes on flesh and steps into the world. My question would be, how have you prepared for Christmas? It's confession time. How many of you are out buying gifts today? Not that many. How many of you are nervous because Amazon did not deliver your gifts on time? <laughs> Raise your hands. But in preparing for Christmas, again, we've been moving through these four weeks, and the idea is how have you prepared for Christmas, and many at City have been preparing their hearts for this moment. But what I do know is that some of us have been preparing for Christmas in a very unique way. You've been watching Hallmark movies. You have. And when I looked into this a little bit, here's what I discovered. That Hallmark actually has a formula that they use that guarantees success for their movies. Absolute formula. I want to give it to you just for a moment for those of you who've been preparing for Christmas by watching those movies. Here you go. Within, within the first 15 minutes, you will know the woman and the man that will fall in love. There's usually a power person, normally or at times could be the woman. She's a power woman, often, often a corporate city girl. She's an advertising executive. She might be a widow. She might have a late husband who died at war. And then there's often the man, but he's a country man. He's a lumberjack whose family owns a Christmas tree farm somewhere in Montana. And within 30 minutes, this is literally their formula, within 30 minutes, the man or the woman, they are introduced to each other and they introduce each other to one of those families which is a loud, boisterous, hospitable family. And before that hour moves to an end, the man and the woman look at each other there's a moment, there's a point of no return. Their eyes meet, they look at each other in a new way, 
or there's a pivotal conversation, and there's always, always, always snow falling outside. <laughs> and so it goes. Also, though, there's usually a token villain appears, the protagonist to their love, and usually it's a competing love interest of some sort, whether for the woman or the man. And that individual momentarily threatens to undermine the romantic destiny that you knew from 15 minutes in was irreversible anyway. But the protagonist shows up, and in the final 20 minutes, that individual is defeated. And then what ends up happening inevitably is you know how it ends. There's an embrace, there's a kiss, there's a united town, there's a dog frolicking in fresh snow. <laughs> and then, catch this, there's an abrupt ending with a very fast forwarding of the credits so that the next one can start and you don't have time to get up and move. <laughs> now here's what Hallmark tells us, there's always snow, always, because the greatest fear of every American is there will not be a white Christmas, and they know this. Here's what you need to know. Hallmark, every single year, their channel has the highest viewership of any network for the last quarter of every single year. Hallmark has two networks. They made 37 original Christmas videos for or Christmas movies for 2018 alone, and over 85 million people will clue in to watch them. Experts tell us this, men deny that they watch them, <laughs> or they blame the woman in their life for having to watch them. But here's what experts also tell us, the more stressful the year, the more people clue in to the Hallmark Channel because they have the formula for a feel-good movie. You've been prepping yourself for Christmas by watching those movies. But what we're going to do now is we are going to prep ourselves for this Christmas sermon. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to be reading through, uh, at, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 2, where I'll be reading, or we'll be reading together, the Christmas story. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had told, been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. 
But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. But here's what we need to know about the real Christmas story. Here's the context of it. It was not by any stretch a hallmark story at all. As a matter of fact, if you've ever read the Gospels, some of us haven't, many of us have, but if you read the Gospels, you'll know the primary verse, the introductory verse for the Christmas story says this, and Caesar Augustus issued, issued a decree that the entire world should go and have a census. If you know anything about ancient history, you know that when a census was taken by Rome, it meant that the hobnailed boot of the Roman Empire was going to be pressing down more than ever before. Following a census would come taxation at a level that had not yet been seen. And the ability to track people by the Roman Empire would reach its height. In this, if you know your history, you will know that soon to follow would be riots, guerrilla warfare, and an attempt to violently find freedom. But Rome would come down with its crushing weight. If you've read the story, you already know that the Gospel of Luke tells us that Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit outside of wedlock. That her fiancé, Joseph, according to the book of Matthew, had determined that he was no longer going to marry her because he knew the child was not his. If you were to read on, you would also know that when Mary and Joseph got to the town that Joseph was from, the guest room was not made available to them, which signals a scandal in their relationship. The context of the story of the birth of Jesus is anything but hallmark. The context for the story is also set by the prophets of old. If you were to look in the Bible in the Older Testament, you would find 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophets began to prophesy hope into the future. Micah chapter five verse two tells us this. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Isaiah the prophet, 700 years before Jesus, prophesies this. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Later on in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And Handel's Messiah has memorialized that text for us. But you see, if you read the prophecies, in the Older Testament, you will discover that prophet Isaiah was honest as well. For he said it this way, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. 
You see, when the light would show up, there would be deep, heavy darkness in the land. And the book of Isaiah closes its chapters by the prophet teaching us again about this baby that was born on Christmas morning and says of him this, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. You see, the prophets had brought hope but had forecasted this, that he would be human He would be born of a virgin. He would be called Emmanuel, God with us. The prophets also said that when he was born, he would be our shalom. He would be our peace. That in him there would be a wholeness to life. He also announces, does Isaiah, and the book of Matthew quotes, that he will be called Emmanuel. God with us. God will take on human skin and he will dwell among us. And the prophet Isaiah says he would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You see, Jesus was born into the real world. You would have never written this story If you were going to launch a new movement, if you were going to launch a new religion, you would never, ever have written this story. But you see, God did. 2,000 years ago, God took on human flesh and dwelt among us, and He is our peace. At the birth of Jesus, God invites three groups or persons. There are three. And the prophet Micah, as we already read, said it must be in Bethlehem, the town of David. That's where he must be born. And so when you look at the story of the birth of Jesus, what you find is just outside of Bethlehem, there were shepherds who were out in their fields at night. And as was read so articulately to us, in that story, the shepherds are in the fields. We know from biblical historians that shepherds are of the lowest class of the Jewish people. They are the lowest of the low. And yet God chooses to bring his announcement to them. God sends the angelic host, and the angelic host comes to these shepherds and says, Listen, I have the gospel. I have good news that will cause great joy for all people everywhere, for all time, you included, me included. But then the angel turns to the shepherds specifically and says, this will be a sign to you, to you shepherds. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Yes, this baby's for everyone, but specifically for you too. When you look at this story, you discover that God goes from everyone to being personal. And this first group of people that God invites, they have a short distance to go. If you've ever been to Israel like I have, you know that that shepherd's field is just a brief walk from where Jesus was born. But these shepherds, in the scriptures, find Jesus, and they find him through a power encounter with God, and there's tons of emotions. 
The second group that God invites to the birth of his son are very different. We declare that they are the polar opposites of shepherds. The shepherds are undereducated, sidelined people who've been rejected by culture. The second group is found in the book of Matthew. They are magi. Magi are intellectuals. They're wealthy. They're powerful. They would fit so well in Charlottesville. They would be deeply admired. They're also into astronomy and astrology. The two primary theories about who the Magi are and where they're from, the number one is what I adhere to, that they were Nabataeans from the area of Petra. You see, they leave there and go to King Herod. He was half Nabataean himself. So King Herod, as the self-imposed Roman-sanctioned king of the Jews, he is half Nabataean, and that's who the wise men go to. If they had traveled, it wasn't just five minutes like the shepherds. It would have been about five days. The other theory is that these men, these wise men, these magi, these intellectual astrologers and astronomers, they've come from current-day Iran, and they were Babylonians. That journey could have taken well over a year. They had come at great distance. But the scripture tells us that they declare to King Herod that they saw a star, and it was a king's star, and they have followed it, and it brought them to where King Herod lives. When they go in to see King Herod, and he hears that the king of the Jews has been born, he knows plenty about the prophecies. He knows that there will be one in Judea that's born. But then as he pulls in the Bible scholars, they tell him, the child will be born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. We've already read it. And it's from there that these magi exit and they move towards Bethlehem. You see, the scripture guided them. The star could not get them the whole way there. It took the scriptures to give them that final direction. You see, ancient peoples, including the Magi, believed there was a marionette relationship between what happens in the stars and what happens down on earth among people. They had found a star that was a king star. And Matthew tells us that when the star hovered over this baby, they rejoiced. They were overjoyed. And they gave him gifts fit for a king, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and then they fell down and they physically moved towards worshiping him. You see, the first group of people came a short way. It was an emotional power encounter with God. The second people could have gone more than a year's journey. It was an intellectual one. It was slow. It was methodical. And yet it still brings them to worshiping Jesus. The last person who was invited never comes. He never shows up. He's King Herod. The Magi went right into his living room and told them that they were here to seek out and to find and to worship the King of the Jews. But King Herod never takes the two-hour trek. He never looks. He never searches. 
he stays where he is. He tells the Magi to go and check and then come back and report to him. But he never looks for himself. And what we discover is within just a few sentences, he actually makes a move to kill Jesus. While everyone else, either taking a short emotional distance or a long-term intellectual distance to Jesus, all the rest have come to worship him, not King Herod. King Herod offhandedly rejects Christ and makes a move to take his life. You see, the Bible's clear at the beginning of the Nativity story that people either move towards Jesus and accept him or they back up and reject him. There is no middle ground. Christmas is about God coming into this world. Emmanuel, God with us. God taking on flesh. But even in the scriptures, there are those who look at the story and say, it is not for me. I want to encourage all of us this evening, whether you've been checking out Jesus for years or you're just checking him out kind of for the first time, I want to encourage you that the Christmas story brings to us this understanding. For some of us, it's a power encounter with God. It's a brief journey filled with emotion. For others of us, our journey to worshiping Jesus is an intellectual one. It could take a year or two. But for everyone, Christmas is the time where we must come before him and determine for ourselves, will I accept him? Will I say yes to who he is? In this moment, I want to encourage you to do just that. Maybe you've looked at the prophecies of Jesus and you've recognized the supernatural nature of the scriptures that point to his birth. For others of you, you've looked at Jesus and you know that you need God with you. You know that you need God with you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. I'm going to ask that all of us would take just a moment to pray with me. We have briefly looked at the birth of Jesus. But I want to encourage you, even challenge you to open up your heart to him in this moment. Because the same Jesus that was worshipped and accepted in the nativity 2,000 years ago is the same Jesus that is here in spirit in this moment, calling all of us to himself. Would you pray this brief prayer with me? Would you open your heart to him? Would you move by faith in his direction to look into that manger and to accept him as God in the flesh, having come so that God would be with you and with me? Let's pray this brief prayer together. A prayer of opening your heart to Jesus would go something like this. Jesus, I don't know everything that there is to know about who you are. But Jesus, I know people in my life who have opened their hearts to you. Jesus, I've looked at scripture, I've heard the stories. And on this Christmas Eve, Jesus, I choose for my life to come and seek you, to come and find you, and to open up my heart by faith to you in this moment.
Jesus, I thank you that you are God coming into this world so that we could say with confidence, God is with us. God is with me. And we pray this, we believe for it, and we ask for it. In Jesus' name, in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. I know that some of us have prayed that prayer. And in line with that, we have a very special gift that we would like to give you. This gift is very simple. It's a box that on the cover just says, follow Jesus. Because the decision that you've made is a lifetime one of following him. And so we have people that are prepared right now. That if you prayed that prayer and you know God is calling you to follow him and you've made that decision, we have people prepared right now just to give you a box and in it there's scripture, there are some helps to help you on your journey, there's a contact card so that we can journey with you in your newfound faith. But if you're here, and I'm going to ask now that everyone would close your eyes one more time as though you were praying just like you were before. But if you're here and you prayed that prayer, I want you to raise your hand. Just saying, you know what? I've prayed that prayer. I've made that decision. And if you've prayed your, that prayer, please keep your hand raised. Our ushers are going to come now and give you a box. There's someone down front. There's some in the middle if the ushers could move quickly. And again, this box is a help to you so that as you take this newfound journey to follow Jesus, that there'll be some things that will help you to do that. Is there anyone else would want to raise their hand? Anyone else raise their hand? Now what we're going to do is we're going to be moving towards lighting the Christ candle. It's the white candle that's down front that shows the purity that God brings to us through Christmas. That Christ would reach out to us would help us and bring us his peace. And so would you at this time please stand with me, everyone, in the auditorium. The way these lights work is you don't point them at your neighbor and then slide the light forward. But how they work is you slide them forward and we'd ask that you'd all keep them off for just a moment. Being that this is the Christ Eve, Christmas Eve, and this white candle symbolizes Christ being born into the world, we now are gonna move towards singing together. And as we sing together, I'm going to light this candle. And as we sing joy to the world and we open up our hearts by faith to Christ, I'm going to ask that in just a moment you'll raise your light, showing that the light of Christ is shining in your world and that God is with us. Let's worship together. to and let's sing joy. Sing it. 
Let's lift our candles up. Let's sing with all of our hearts. Oh, sorry. 